In the last episode of Best of Top Traders Unplugged, we went back in time to revisit some of the key lessons that many investors learned during the financial crisis. It was my way of reminding myself and you of something that we as investors must never forget. Today, Robert Carver goes much deeper into the human psychology that makes us human ill-equipped to deal with our emotions in a rational way when it comes to making good investment decisions. And also how you can overcome this behavior and make your own plan for financial success. So sit back and relax. Enjoy these unique takeaways from my conversation with Robert. And if you want to listen to the full conversation, which I hope you do, just go over to toptradersunplugcom forward slash 89 and also forward slash 90. I am genuinely interested in, in educating people and trying, trying to explain to them that they need to be more realistic. Sure. And that's a completely different marketplace from where you're trying to compete with people who are trying to make the most outlandish claims to stand out from the, the pack of people making similar outlandish claims. No, I agree with that completely. And I think it is evident from, from reading your book that that is the, uh, the fundamental uh, motivation. Now, you, you, you touch already upon the point about sort of the, the flawed human brain um, uh, in, 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 uh, in your book. And you end up talking a little bit about sort of the, the temptation of taking profits early and letting our losses run. That's really how we as human beings are, are, are wired Tell me a little bit more about that and, and, and what it really means when it comes to trading, if you get this balance <laughs> the, the, the wrong way around, so to speak, and, and what you found when you, when you test these kind of human behaviors, so to, if I can call it that. So the, the natural human instinct, um, when you see a position rise a little bit in price that you, you're long, is to say, um, is to want to take a profit. Mm-hmm. Um, and this comes down to um, essentially that, that kind of strong feeling that you want to kind of lock that in. Um, and the reason you want to lock that in is you want to prove that you're right. Mm. It's the overwhelming human emotion to, to, to prove that, that you're doing the right thing. It's called confirmation bias uh, mm. in the literature. Um, now, when, when the stock's falling, if you um, sell at a loss, um, then you're going to be proving that you're wrong. And nobody wants to do that. Sure. So what you actually then want to do is hang on to that position and hope it goes up in value. And as it keeps falling, of course, you have the same conversation with yourself until you're forced to sell, um, perhaps because, um, you know, you've run out of money. Sure. Um, so the, it, it's really about the way the human brain is treating um, lot, realize, unrealized losses and unrealized losses differently, mm-hmm. thinking about them differently, even though they're exactly the same thing. Um, and... Uh, you know this this kind of mindset that it, it's it's not a profit until you've you've sold it, and it's not a it's not a loss until you've you know taken the loss. Sure. It's, it, it's completely wrong. You, it's very easy to think about a um, sort of pattern of price where it would actually make sense to buy on a small profit, mm-hmm. um, and that would be if the market was trading in a small range. Sure. Now the problem is that most of the time markets don't do that; they they trend. Mm-hmm. Um, now this isn't the time for the kind of theological argument about whether sure. trend following is a, a good thing or a bad thing. But certainly 
in the past um, and people like um, you know uh, Winton have done tests over hundreds of years of data where it's available uh, markets have in the past exhibited a behavior where they're trending mm-hmm. so you know if markets are going to trend and this the behavior where you're going to sell at a small profit and you know cut um, only when you've got a huge loss is exactly the wrong thing to do. You should do exactly the opposite of that, sure. which is what a trend-following system will do. So this is a really good example of where there's a human bias um, in our brains creates exactly the wrong kind of behavior. And you can then write a really simple rule that not only corrects for that bias, but will actually exploit it. Mm-hmm. And if other people are doing, are doing this, then that, you know, this trend-following system will effectively be taking money, money off them. Sure, sure, sure. Now, of course, it... It kind of goes into the debate that's also been about, you know, you know, different kind of strategies, you know, convergent strategies versus divergent strategies. We know trend following is a divergent strategy. Uh, then you have a lot of relative value strategies on the convergent side. And and I guess, uh, I mean, I guess, in, in, in you know, part of your conclusion is, of course, that you should have a little bit of everything. And that's, that's probably true. Uh, but when you did your test, I mean, From from memory, you you did a test with two, these two different rules on thirty one futures contracts. What 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 did you find in 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 that? And if you don't remember, I I, I have to find <laughs> I have the finding in front of me. Okay. Um, well, I, I did I did find that um, I think it was twenty six out of thirty one markets or twenty seven. Sure. Twenty seven out of thirty one markets. Um, a very simple uh, rule which took losses early and let profits run. Yeah. So it wasn't actually a kind of classical trend following rule. It was something much simpler than that. Sure. Um, did better in in twenty seven out of thirty one markets. But you know that's not a huge surprise because you know fir- firms that have been trend following futures have been profitable for for many decades. Um, so it's not a, it's not a big surprise, but. Um, as you say, uh, I'm, I'm not saying that trend following is the only way to trade. Exactly. It's just that this is a really nice example of where a human bias um, produces a, a behavior in the market, which can be exploited by a simple trading rule. Sure. And, and speaking, there are, there are yeah. others on the divert, you know, on the convergent side as well. Yeah. 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 No. No. True. Um, and actually, uh, you, you use the phrase "simple trading rules." That there are two things you kind of highlight also early on in the book and that's you know the importance of having simple trading rules but also the importance of sticking to a plan uh, tell me why this is crucial in 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 your opinion well if you're not sticking to a plan then you aren't really trading systematically um the the whole point of, of having a system whether it be you know the full-on store what i call the staunch system trader where you're running with um systematic trading rules and a position management framework or mm-hmm. the, the more qualitative um, semi-automatic where you're, you're making your own forecasts but then putting them kind of binding yourself into this systematic framework to actually trade and manage those positions but the whole point of that is that you you gain the benefits that you can get from doing that um, which you know you're going to lose if you if you start meddling with your system and, and making changes Um, and uh, you know this is something that, that everyone does, from the the kind of the, the guy who's a retail trader mm. who, who's using an off-the-shelf charting package and is looking at the, the signals that are coming off it and saying, well, I don't really like that signal. Mm. I'll ignore that one. I'll do this one. I won't do that one. But even in uh, large institutions like AHL and 
I'm not uh, criticising them specifically because I, I, I know it happens in, in all institutions um, that trade systematically. You still have debates about whether you should override the system or cut the system's risks because of something that's going on in the world. Mm. Now, the key point, of course, is if you've got a purely systematic trading system that you've back-tested, um, in the back-test, all kinds of stuff happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one was was there in the back test to to override it. The system just ran and and, and did what it did. Mm-hmm. And assuming you were comfortable with the back test and comfortable with its behaviour um, and what it, what trading it was doing in the back test, you, then you should really be comfortable with letting that thing run now without interfering with it, because that's exactly what happened in the back test. Mm-hmm. So there are actually a very very small number of circumstances in which I believe it's it's right to um, to meddle with the trading system and to override it. And uh, unfortunately, this is something that comes about with, with long experience. Um, and I think the, the danger is if you're ever in a situation where you're spending too much time looking at what your system is doing um, and, and uh, following the, the financial news and all this kind of stuff, all these things feed into a an environment in which you're you're more likely to try and second guess the system and override it. That's why I I don't sit at my computer all day watching it trade. I spend a lot of time setting it up so that that it's fully automated and just reports to me when things things look like they might be going wrong. Sure. But in an institutional setting, you know, you, you it's much harder when you're you're trading with other people's money because you have this fiduciary duty um, to to look after their money and, and as you know yourself. Sure. Um, and uh, if, if something happens and you don't override the system, then there's always that question of whether that was the right thing to do. So it's it's a culture in which it's much harder to to stick exactly to what the system is doing. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you and I are talking you know, in, in, in November of 2015. And actually, I would say the, the things you just touched upon is very real right now in the debate of, of investors, uh, which obviously I spend a lot of time uh, talking to because people are worried that the coming changes in interest rate environment, meaning we've gone from a from a bear market in bonds to a you know, at some sorry, from a bull market in bonds to to a, a bear market at some point when the interest rate cycle turns, which of course we know the U.S. central bank has alluded to now a few times this year already, and at some point it probably will come. And there is definitely fear out there that all of these track records that we have been able to produce and can document and show they're not going to be worth a lot when <laughs> when the interest rates suddenly start going up because not many CTAs have, uh, in this case, CTAs have traded through a, a rising interest rate environment. And so there is this fear that, oh, it's going to stop working and, and, and it's mm-hmm. now. So, and of course, there is a point to it because most testing will have been done on data for the last three years, 30 years, three decades. Um, not a lot of people and, and not, a, not a lot of data is available going further back Um I want to I want to I want to sort of talk about something related to this in a second but I just want to hear your initial reaction uh to 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 this kind of um um concern that investors clearly have. So my last job at AHL was managing the, the fixed income portfolio. Okay, so you're um, well positioned so, to uh, so answer I spent, this. I spent an awful lot of time thinking about exactly this problem. Okay. And I I came to a, a number of conclusions. 
the first conclusion is people often forget that what makes um, we're not actually we say oh we're looking at prices and we assume that if a, a bond price falls that we're going to lose money but actually what we're exposed to is total return mm-hmm. so if you're if you're owning bonds um, then you, your total return is going to come actually this applies to all futures but it's going to come from both the the movement in the spot price and also any any carry or roll down that, that you're getting mm-hmm. and the carrier roll down essentially is is sort of telling you um, what the market expects will happen to the spot price over the, the period, or whatever period it is. So what that means in practice, if you're in an environment where interest rates are very low but are expected to go up, then the interest rate curve, the yield curve, will be quite steeply upward sloping. Mm-hmm. And that means that the carry you'd get on owning bonds um, further out in the maturity space will be relatively high. Um, so in a, in a nutshell, if the, mark, if the interest rate moves in the way that the, the, the forward price is expected will move, you won't actually make or lose any money. It's only if the, the rates change unexpectedly. So if they if they rise too early or too fast, that, that you'll lose money. So there's, that's the first thing to say, I mean, is that people kind of, I think a lot of people miss that. And we did a lot of kind of simulations and tests uh, looking at different um, you know, interest rate environments and we came to the conclusion that, that you know, that there wasn't as much of a problem as you might think. Sure. The second thing is is diversify, mm. diversification. If, if you're running a CTA and, and 40% of your assets are in US bond futures, then you're some kind of crazy guy, right? Sure. <laughs> and this this is true, you know, regardless of what you think Janet Yellen is going to do. Mm. You know, you should have a diversified portfolio. So, um, you know, probably I look at my own portfolio, perhaps 20 to 25% is in, is in bond futures. Sure. Um, and if it was more than 30%, I'd be sort of thinking, well, that seems a bit high. Regardless of what I think is going to happen to interest rates, it just seems quite high given all the all the asset classes that are out there in, in the CTA space. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, you know, why, why have you got so much money just, just in one country? Of course, all bond prices will react to what happens in the US, but the, the what happens in the US will be the most significant um, thing. So... You know, if you've got a reasonably diversified portfolio, then your exposure to anything unexpected happening in the US should be relatively small. The third thing to say is, you know, we I, we were having this debate um, for the best part of three years um, before I left AHL, sure. and it's now 2015. So this is a debate we've been having for five years. Yeah. And if you'd done if you'd done any kind of meddling in that period, like reducing your exposure to fixed income you would have been hurt sure. because um, being long fixed income and also trend following fixed income has been one of the the, the, the greatest trades over the last five years. So, sure. for example, last year um, was an excellent year for CTAs and uh, most of them made most of their money in bonds, actually mostly in European bonds. But, um, you know, so um, if, you'd, if you'd kind of cut your exposure in bonds too much um, to... To, you know, to say just ten percent, you'd have seriously missed a lot of that return. Yeah. So my, my message really is: don't panic. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> um, I, yeah. Plus, I, yeah. I mean, if, if you, you you can go back to um, probably the last time we had an interest rate rise that kind of panicked the markets in in the similar way it was nineteen ninety four, when was when you know, for example, Orange County happened. A lot of people got got really got caught short. So you know, you can kind of go back and look at CTAs who were trading back then and. Um, or look at back tests and simulations, you know, in as much as 
they can be trusted and, and look at what happened then. Um, so it's not like there isn't any data at all. But um, and you'll see losses, of course, but they, they shouldn't be too large as long as you you know haven't exposed yourself too much to one asset class in one country. Sure. And, and 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 the other thing I would I would add to that I think all your points are are, are very good and and of course uh, one can add one more and that is of course that uh, systematic traders today can be you know short the bonds as easy as they can be sense. long so yeah. so so there is no there's no there should be no bias there but um, you know what what is interesting to me is that there are a few uh, maybe a handful of of these managers who were around in the last interest rate sort of hiking cycle. So from 1977 to 1981, for example, interest rates up, went up dramatically. And I can see on the firm I work for, which happened to be around back then, you know, it was a very profitable period for, for this kind of trading. So to me, at least, it, it looks to me that that when the bigger interest rate cycle is up, then I think there should be good opportunities. But when people refer to the period, as you mentioned, 1994, which was a difficult year for, for the CTA space, well, actually what it was, it was a correction in interest rates going up in a much bigger down move. So to me, it was more of a counter-trend situation than it was the fact that the interest rate cycle had turned. It hasn't really turned. It was just correcting against the bigger trend. Anyway, let that be for, for a minute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a pause to drink a little bit of tea because I want you to I want to um, point out something that related to what you mentioned earlier, which was the the importance of sticking to a plan. And I happened just to be sent uh, the other day a link to an article where AQRs, which for those who don't know, is one of the very big firms in in our business. Um, the founder of AQR, Cliff Asnes, was recently interviewed by Bloomberg, and this is what he said about. Um, you know, uh, investment, uh, you know, success, and 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 uh, and also in relation to 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 Warren Buffett, he basically said that genius is still good, but more and more I think about doing something reasonable that makes sense, and then sticking to it with incredibly fortitude through the tough times. Maybe I middle that up a little bit in my reading of it, but basically what he's saying is sticking to a plan is possibly more important than just being a genius. Now, the other thing he goes on to say when uh, talking about sort of the quote-unquote greatest investor in, in the world, Warren Buffett, um, he says that, and this is about a study that was done uh, about him, he said, of course they found he was fantastic, but not quite as fantastic. His track record was phenomenal, but human phenomenal. What was beyond human was him sticking to uh, sticking with it for 35 years and rarely, if ever, rarely retreating from it. So it goes very much to the point you made before. Now, of course, at this stage, uh, I have to do a little bit of selfish promotion, and that is to, to uh, put things into perspective a little bit. And that is with my own, uh, the, the, the founder of the firm I work for, Bill Dunn, who's essentially been running his investment strategy for 41 years with an annual return of more than 15%, which puts him, of course, along with uh, with our uh, new ownership of Marty Bergen, right up with with, uh, with Warren Buffett. Yet you will never hear these kind of rosy descriptions in, in the media uh, of how they describe Buffett's uh, achievements. But 
Anyway, that's a little bit of a of, of being sidetracked, but I just think the the sticking to a plan and being exceptionally disciplined over the long run, I, I think it's such an important point for people to, to realise. Absolutely, and I'll just add, I mean, I think I completely agree with Cliff to the extent that I don't think I am a genius, and therefore sticking to a simple plan is, is absolutely the right thing for me to do. Mm. That's it for now. And remember, if you want to listen to the full conversation with Robert, please go to toptradersonplug.com forward slash 89 and forward slash 90. Now, if you enjoyed this short clip from a past episode of the show, then I think you're going to love the book I'm giving away right now. It's called The Many Flavors of Trend Following. And it includes some of my best insights on this, perhaps the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. And you can get your free copy uh, by going to toptradersonplot.com forward slash book right now and start your own journey today. Just go to toptradersonplot.com forward slash book and make sure to subscribe to the podcast either on your favorite podcast platform or on YouTube where I will be back next week with many more exciting and engaging conversations Until next time, take care.